that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola. Joined today by Rosella Rago and Patrick O'Boyle for what is a very special emergency Italian-American podcast broadcast. First and foremost, a belatedly happy St. Joseph's Day to everybody out there in Italian-America. We hope you had a wonderful holiday, got as much as you could of the great treats and sweets that signify what I think is fast becoming a signature Italian-American holiday. We had a great show in the can coming out tomorrow, and at some point, Pat reached down for the phone, called me, and we had the same thought on our mind, which is, holy cow, there's a lot of St. Joseph's Day stuff on social media this year. So we decided to call in some experts from the bullpen of Italian-American leadership and bring you an episode to not only discuss the history and traditions of the holiday, but kind of why it is something as unique as this seems to be growing and expanding in Italian-America uh, year after year. So first of all, Pat and Roe, good to be back together. Thank you guys for making time for an emergency recording. For Zeppeli, anything. I've got all the time in the world. <laughs> That's true. It was my idea anyway, so why wouldn't I come? That's true. It was your idea. Yep. And I swear when you called me, it's like you and I are always telepathic. Yeah, quite. I, I was thinking the same thing. And uh, Pat and I said, okay, let's call in some experts. So we've got two added voices here on the panel today that I think you're going to really enjoy. First one, you may recall from episode 121, Christmas at the Pastry Shop. She is a dear friend of the Italian American Podcast. Maybe it's safe to say now our official pastry maker of the Italian American Podcast, Mary Grace Castiello from George Joseph Hoboken. So Mary Grace, welcome back. Hi, everyone. It's good to have you back. It's good to see you again after all this stuff. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And today we get to, actually, shockingly enough, I was going through the archive, this is, I think, his first time on the show, and he is like, he's an Italian-American superhuman. I've never met anybody who has more energy and devotion constantly out there in the world exploring Italian-America. He's been the host of a lot of really successful shows. His current show is At the Table with Tony. His real name is Anthony Shilia, but you may know him better as Tony Manja. And uh, he's an amazing friend of ours. He's the founder of uh, our little Italian-American dining club, while yo, just a joy to be around. And I'm really happy to finally welcome him to the Italian-American podcast. So, Tony, thank you for taking time. My pleasure. I, when it comes to St. Joseph, uh, I'm, I'm there. Again, he's, I'm devoted to him. So uh, when you called, I, I kind of was a little nervous this morning, but I kind of cleared everything out to be here. And I appreciate the invite. And, I, and I'm looking forward to talking about one of my favorite holidays. Uh, so thanks, guys. I will never forget, Tony, when you sent us on a wild goose chase to freaking <laughs> New Haven, Connecticut. Not his fault. To find what you what you proclaim to be 
the East Coast best St. Joseph Zeppeli. We, we brought Pat, we tied him up, we blindfolded him, we threw him in a car, we drove for three hours, and we got there and they didn't have him. So you were, you, were, you were a week early? We're a week early. We were like days early. A day early. Like, I'm making them tomorrow. I'm back tomorrow. I'm making them tomorrow. That's my luck in life. I'm one day short of a Zeppeli. That should be my feature. That was my fault. That place, uh, my my wife, that's her favorite canolo uh, in America. She loves that one. I don't know why. She just, because it isn't that sweet to her. She, she's not a fan of like the sweet cannoli. You know, a lot of times they put a lot, a lot of sugar to extend the shelf life. But she, I don't know. She just loves that that particular canola up there. I got to tell you something. You got to try Mary Grace's apples because I eat them as they come out of the oil. <laughs> There, it's a pinoli nut free zone on that day. I get a special day every year. That's true. I put them on the side for that. For those who don't know, I'm deathly allergic to pine nuts. So if you ever want to take me out, you got the recipe right <laughs> That cookie could spell my end. And Mary Grace has the pine nuts in the store, of course, because she has the cookies and stuff like that. So she has a, a pinoli nut free day when I go in. And there's nothing in the world that tastes better than when those zapas are fresh out of the oil. Mm. Thanks, Pat. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's an out of body experience. It's a sacramental experience. It's a foretaste of paradise. Well, you know, it's interesting, Pat. I was doing some research for this, and before we even go into the history of the holiday, we want to talk a little bit about the Zeppelin because it's the it's the clear cut winner and the symbol for St. Joseph's Day in Italian America. And I'm doing the research, and you know, the, the debate that everybody has is Zeppelin versus Fingy, and you know, what's more authentic. And and I want to get our panelists here to to weigh in. But I didn't realize that the Zeppelin, the St. Joseph Zeppelin, as, as we know it, uh, the shoe pastry with you know uh, pastry cream and the cherry on top, and some variation of that. Uh, I knew it was invented in Naples. What I didn't realize was it was invented in Naples in 1840 by a Don Pasquale. Pignataro. Yeah, Pignataro. And uh, I didn't realize, Pat, you shared a name with the inventor of the Zeppelin. That's just appropriate to me. So if you ever hit sainthood, we want to make you the patron saint of the pastiera, but maybe the Zeppelin, on the other hand, would be... You could be like the patron saint of Italian pastry. I feel like he's the patron saint of, like, leaven doughs and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I know, like, Zeppelin don't have yeast in them, but, like, I don't know. He, he makes the soda bread. It's like... He can't be the patron saint of quick breads because that's not no, no. that's not worthy of him. We got to figure it out. Italian baked items, and I would hold up a bastiera in my hand. That's what you're gonna choose to, to like <laughs> put on your stat on your saint statue a pastiera, not because a zeppoli. A bastiera is, is just so it's so in my DNA. Mm. It has so many memories to me. It's I don't know. It's a deep. It's it's these are the deep kind of questions we ponder when we think about life like what would you what would your symbol be if you were a dead saint like it's that <laughs> you know but i think i would have a bastia i think you would and do. i would have a hymn with, i would have a blessed bastia i would have a blessed bastia why do people listen they hear stuff like this if i had heard this on a podcast i'd be turning off right now <laughs> never sticking around i really got to give you points for this. the audience is only growing so something's right uh you know, I do want to talk to Mary Grace and Tony about this Zeppeli versus Fingy thing because they're definitely different regional concoctions. Mary Grace, you are the official baker. Tell us what is, for the audience that's uninitiated, the difference between the two. So here, and this is knowledge coming from my dad, we have the Zeppeli 
with the custard and sour amarena cherries. And he would say those are the Neapolitan ones. And then the spingy with cannoli cream. And usually there's orange peel, little candy cherry. We do green sprinkles, but pistachio nuts traditionally as the Sicilian ones. And we keep them the same shape, which is a round crawler donut. But apparently my understanding is oftentimes the spingy are more oval shaped. Mm-hmm. So Tony, you're out there. I mean, I think you've tried every one in the tri-state area. That kind of jives, right? That's a sort of great distinction. Yeah, that's definitely what I've seen, especially if you go to a, like a, like a traditionally Sicilian bakery. So there's a couple in, in, in my area of North Jersey, and they do make the sphinx not as the zeppoli with the chimera of ragotta cream, but they actually make it almost, it's almost like a zeppoli that you would get at a feast in a way, but it's not because, it, because the dough is like the patishu, the, the So it's the same dough as a, I guess, a Neapolitan zeppola. But uh, so it's the same dough, but they just kind of schmear, schmear uh, the ragotta on top. But like Mary Grace was saying, with the candied uh, orange and a little uh, maraschino cherry on top. So that's, that's kind of what I've seen. Um, but like, 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 but you can also obviously make the zeppola in the if you're just making it one way with you know just frying it as a like the donut shape. You could also smear some of the ragotta on top of that, and I've seen that at a few places as well. But like I said, two places that come to mind right away are Maria's Bakery, Saddlebrook, New Jersey. She does the traditional Sicilian sphinx, and then there's Il Dolce Bakery that's in Hawthorne, and he also does. Uh, and again, they're both from uh, the area of Sicily around Palermo. So I think that's, a, that's also a distinction is that the sphinx is more of a palermitana thing than, than say, because I know my, my wife's family, they're from Ragusa. They eat it. We obviously eat it because we, we live in North Jersey now, so everything is accessible. But that isn't a traditional uh, dessert for them for St. Joseph. I'm going to jump in a minute because as I talk to more of our listeners, I'm learning that it's a learning curve in the sense that coming from the New York metropolitan area, we kind of assume everybody knows what these things are. So I want to give a little bit of background, a little bit of history and a little bit of background. So as I've discussed on previous episodes, um, Christianity in general, pre-Reformation, be it the the Church of the East or the Western Church of Rome, fasting was very, very severe. And there were a few times during Lent, you got a little bit of a break. Sundays were a little bit of a break. The Feast of the Annunciation when uh, Mary conceived Jesus on March 25th, nine months before Christmas, a little bit of a break. And March 19th became a little bit of a break. So what happened? In ancient Christianity, the strongest devotion was to the martyrs. And as, as time developed, devotion also started to happen to other figures in the life of Jesus and then other holy people who weren't necessarily killed for the faith. Around the year 1000, devotion to St. Joseph starts in the church, but it really takes off with the Carmelites and St. Teresa of Avila in the 1500s. Now, why is this so important? Because at the same time, when in Spain, because Avila is in Spain, St. Teresa reforms the Carmelite order, and she's a huge proponent of devotion to St. Joseph. The south of Italy, everything south of Rome, is controlled by Spain. We're a vice royalty of Spain. So a lot of Spanish Catholic traditions wind up in the south of Italy. That's why when people go to the south of Italy, they go to Mexico, they see a lot of Catholic crossover that they may not see in a country like Ireland or France or Germany. Because a lot of the south of Italy's spirituality came from Spain. So devotion to St. Joseph really takes off in Sicily after a number of miracles that happened in Sicily. But it also takes off throughout the whole of the south of Italy. Now, 
what happens in the 1700s is the church begins to give more and more breaks during Lent. Now you can have egg and now you can have dairy and now you can have a little bit more egg and dairy on a feast day. So the two feast days that wind up being your kind of uh, cheat days if you're on Weight Watchers, your indulgence days are April 25th, the Annunciation, and March 19th. Now I want you to learn what the word zapel. Zapel is a Neapolitan word that basically means fried relic. So some people listen, well, I, I think of Zapla and they think of what the, the, the fried dough bowl they get at an Italian feast or down the Jersey Shore. That is a regular Zapla. That is the earliest Zapla. That is flour, water, yeast, and it's fried. Now, in the earliest days, that was covered with honey. That's what my grandmother would make at Christmas time. During the rest of the year for Saint Days and stuff like that, they would fry them, as you're familiar with them, and they would cover them with powdered sugar. Now, it's similar, and this is an important distinction, especially for people in New England. It's similar to what's called fried dough around the rest of the country. Now, what's fried dough? Fried dough was when you were making bread. Um, your ancestors were making bread. They would keep some bread dough left over. They would roll it out, and they would fry it, and they would put um, some powdered sugar on it. So the word zapel is not familiar all around the United States, the Italian American communities, and a lot of places has different meat. Rhode Island and Massachusetts are the St. Joseph Zapua capitals of America. In my it seems it's, it's, it's and beautifully has a cult-like status. If you look at their media, you go around there, it's definitely very, very much part of their culture. A big reason for that, in my belief, is that there's a lot of people from Gazerta, um, the area around Frosinone, Abruzzo, that settled in that area. And it was the Caserta area people that brought, which is close to Naples, which brought the Neapolitan Zeppelin tradition to that part of New England. So if you say to someone in New England, Zeppelin, they only think St. Joseph's. They don't have any other picture in their mind. If you say to someone to New York and New Jersey, if you say Zeppelin, they think the regular fried uh, dough ball. And if you say St. Joseph's Zeppelin, they think of the crawler that we're talking about, stuff with pastry here. And if you mention Zeppelin to somebody in New Orleans, they look at you fine. Because New Orleans does not have this tradition because New Orleans was all Sicilian. Mm. Uh, we were recently in Pittsburgh. They don't have this tradition. So this tradition really took off the St. Joseph's Zapla in areas that were very heavily concentrated by people from Naples. And I want to add to what John said about what, what happened with Pina Dada. John and I and my brother had a fantastic experience a couple of years ago. We were in the city of Body for the Feast of St. Nicholas. And what really got to me, which I'd never seen before, but I knew existed, um, the fireworks in Italy, they would go up at 4 o'clock in the morning to wake everyone up for December 6th to go to Mass at the Feast of St. Nicholas, the patron saint. So four o'clock in the morning, you hear all these fireworks go off. And that was the alarm clock for your ancestors. So you would hear the fireworks, you would get dressed. Starting at 4.30 in the morning, there were masses in the cathedral body with the body of St. Jesus. And it went all day long and the church was packed. But what we noticed walking to church, there were people outside their house selling fried zapas, selling fried dough. Because in the old days, you would fast on a holy day like that before church. You would go receive communion. And then when you left Mass, you were hungry and you would have a fried zapel. This tradition was also going on in Naples. So in 1830s Naples, on March 19th, people would be outside, a little bit like we would call a side hustle today, making a little bit of money on the side. And they would put their big deep fryer out and they would fry some basically dough balls. And the, the zapas that um, are the kind you get at a feast or at the Jersey Shore, and they would put some powdered sugar on it. Pinatado was like, how am I going to make some extra bucks in this? Now, the court of Naples, as John will tell you, was very tight with Paris, France, because a lot of Neapolitan married French wives. 
So bechamel sauce, pasta choux, a lot of French cooking techniques wound up with the nobility and Naples pastry. So Pinatata said, listen, I'm going to make a totally different zapel. Now, he could because the church at that time was allowing dairy and eggs that you could eat on that day, which you couldn't previously. So you didn't have to have, if you just fry zapelas with water, flour, yeast, and little powdered sugar, you don't need any dairy or eggs. So that was the old tradition. But Pinata is like, I can use milk and eggs now and butter. So he makes a French pasta choux. Basically, it would be a cream puff for, for those who are not familiar. He makes pastry cream like custard. He puts some inside. He uses amarena cherries, which are famous all throughout Naples, that are, are preserved in their own syrup. So he puts some um, cherries with syrup on top of the pastry. Puts a little pastry cream on top of his apron. Puts a cherry on top. They were delicious. They were a huge hit. And he made a lot of money. Mm. He made so much money that everybody who was making the old-fashioned zaples around him said, I'm going to switch to that type of zaple. And that is how the St. Joseph's zaple tradition was born. Now, as you leave Naples, like in the Chilento, where my grandfather's family comes from, they eat a zaple that's just made out of potato dough. Potato, it's the potato and flour dough um, mixed with some egg. Um, different parts of Italy, some parts of Molise, they have beautiful traditions for St. Joseph. You know, um, my friend Aaron, where his family comes from, they have a, a 12-course meal. Wow. And Sicily, of course, has the huge St. Joseph's tables. Many places had their own tradition, but the St. Joseph's April was 100. And we know, who, we, made, we know who made it, we know when he made it, and we know how it took off. And that is the tradition that was brought here. So for those of you who have never had one, and Mary Grace, you can correct me if I'm describing this incorrectly. It's basically a cream puff, a French pasta choux cream puff with pastry cream inside and amarena cherries. Yes. And it's interesting, Pat, to your point, like, you know, you, you talk about the Sicilian devotion to St. Joseph, right? St. Joseph's been a patron saint of Sicily for a very long time. And it, the legend tells us that in medieval times, in the course of a great famine, the people of the island prayed to St. Joseph the famine was broken with the with the heavy rain, which allowed them to grow fava beans, which traditionally had been seen as food for the livestock. And the fava beans were given uh, a whole new life as a as a sustenance for people, and they were able to survive on these miraculously grown fava beans. And in Sicilian communities, and now again in Italian America, the fava bean becomes a symbol for the holiday, a lucky charm to carry all year. When we go to New Orleans to celebrate St. Joseph's Day every year, you can't get over how many people are handing out blessed fava beans and who paints them different things. And so it's interesting to see the Sicilian version of this holiday, which, like you say, in New Orleans, which is a Sicilian-American community, you don't get the St. Joseph Zeppeli, but you get a lot of the older traditions like the St. Joseph altars, which happen in many of the parishes, which happen in many of the individual homes. People build these massive tables with foods and fruits and baked goods and a lot of breads you get creative variations on sculpted bread you know saint joseph saw or crucifixes these kind of things wheat you see breadcrumbs all over in the recipes because the modiga breadcrumb which as we've discussed on uh greetings from italian america on our video series on youtube it's not just a breadcrumb it's a it's a whole sort of baked or fried concoction of breadcrumbs and so a lot of the dishes that 
are eaten in Sicily on St. Joseph's Day incorporate the Modica breadcrumbs because St. Joseph was a carpenter and they represent sawdust. Uh, you know, pasta con lesarde, sardine pasta, pasta with anchovies, pasta with just breadcrumbs. Um, I know, Tony, you made this year a variation on that that you were exploring on social media, uh, inclusive of some cinnamon and cloves and things like that. Okay, so yeah, this is interesting. So my wife's family, they're from a town called uh, Santa Croce Camarina. It's in the Provincia of Ragusa. So it's in the southern, I guess, southeastern part of Sicily. And there, they don't do the pasta con sarda. They don't, they don't do the pasta with the anchovies. What they do is they do a, and again, it seems to be only traditional or only for this particular town in, in Sicily. And they do a, a so they're, they're tomatoes. They, they do tomato sauce. And it has the, the, uh, the addition of cinnamon and clove to it. So totally, totally different. But I think that that, because that area of Sicily was at one time heavily influenced by the Greeks. So I think that that, that is the correlation between that area of Sicily and Greece. They kind of, in, you know, um, I guess in, in inserted their, their, their taste profiles to that area of Sicily. So uh, it, it's interesting because we used, um, we used to have a, a St. Joseph table every year. Uh, first at the club, well, the club used to be in Patterson, then it moved to Hawthorne. And now it's back in Patterson and other church. But unfortunately, with COVID, we didn't have the traditional St. Joseph table the last two years. So my wife's grandmother, her nonna, she wanted to, you know, recreate what we did for years and years and years. I mean, I've been in a family for over 20 years. So she wanted to recreate that St. Joseph pasta. And just taking that first bite of it, it brought me back to the years when the club used to be in Hawthorne. It was like a, like a, like a food memory. It just brought me back to, you know, and you used to hear people yell and they, they would be auctioning all food. So for me, that was, that was a... A, a great moment of joy, uh, whereas some of the other, you know, the the, the grandkids and, and some of my uh, my wife's aunts maybe they didn't understand the whole cinnamon part of it, so they kind of thought it tasted sweet. But for me, I'm like, wow, this this brought back so many great food memories. Again, of going to the club. My family, um, part of my family is from Sicily, but they're from northern Sicily by Santo Stefano di Camasta. And I remember my aunt as a kid, she would make the pasta with sardines. And as a kid, you think like, yeah, sardines are gross. But I used to, I used to love going by her house for pasta with sardines. That was like, that was the highlight of the year. And the other thing, it's kind of, kind of off the subject a bit, but I don't, I don't know if you guys have this food memory of going to maybe your grandmother's house, your aunt's house, or, or you know, what your your parents' house. That smell of anisette. My aunt would always be cooking, and her house would just, you would, you would pull down the street, and it would be like this whiff of anisette that would come at you. I'd be like, oh, whenever I go to it, whenever I'm working in the Italian community, and I. I I kind of, you know, started sniffing. My, my, my nose perks up whenever I smell that on his end. It just brings back so many food, child, amazing childhood food memories. I think that's the beauty of these traditions is you can pass them along to the younger generation. And, you know, the, the smell, they say, scientifically, is the greatest memory incubator that we have. It's the, it's the greatest sense when it comes to memory, and it, and it brings you back the fastest. And the beauty of the regionality of it is in the personalization of this holiday for everybody and how they celebrated. I mean, growing up for me, we moved from our neighborhood in Brooklyn, which had very few Sicilians in it. My mother is half Sicilian. And then we moved to New Jersey. And as I've told the audience many, many times into the only town in New Jersey that didn't have Italian people in it. And so St. Joseph's day for me became this really kind of like bizarro anti St. Patrick's day where, you know, all the Irish kids that I went to school with would be, wearing green and bringing in their mother's soda bread and stuff on the 17th. And me and my best friend who was Lebanese, the only other non-Irish kid in my class, we had no attachment to it. And then two days later I could, you know, 
have my red on when I came home from school and I could have the Zeppeli and I could have the macaroni at night, my family, and we would have, you know, sort of these underground Italian American dinners. So we'd get the other hidden Italian Americans in town and we'd gather at a restaurant and we'd all eat together. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the taste, the smells, they bring you back to all of this. And I think of like, you know, going to New Orleans for the first time to enjoy this with David Greco, which you can go back in our archives, episode 91, I explain the experience of joining David and, and participating in what is clearly the biggest celebration in the country in New Orleans every year. And, you know, seeing these altars out, seeing the cookies that everybody made and everybody brought and people who would go from church to church or house to house and see each other's altars, all this food then given to the needy afterwards and or auctioned off for the club and things like that. I, I find it really interesting to see how what has become clearly, and that's really what we're here to talk about, an Italian-American holiday, our version, which may not be popular with Italians from Italy, is an amalgamation of all of these things, right? Mm. The, the Neapolitan Zeppeli, the Sicilian altar, uh, who makes different kinds of pasta, who observes the breadcrumbs, you know, lily flowers, the symbol of St. Joseph. All this stuff is sort of like our community in general, merged together from different Italian regional impetuses and created what I think is really become, at this point, an Italian-American holiday, but I don't think it's that far different from what's happened in Italy. I agree totally. Because if you take, like, for instance, I have no Sicilian blood within, within me whatsoever, but I love the, the macaroni with the sardines, right? I'll make it myself. It's one of my favorite dishes in the whole So it's something that I've adopted. I'll make it on St. Joseph's Day, but I'll make it all year round because I just enjoy it. St. Joseph's Day in New York has become a holiday that other people adopt because I saw on the internet, Polish people I know posting that they went and get their St. Joseph's Aprils. It has absolutely, I mean, besides the fact that they're Catholics, it's, it's not anyway part of their culinary tradition, but they've grown up around Italian Americans and they've adopted it because it's just so delicious. And if you take Italy, it, St. Joseph's Day became Father's Day in Italy at the end of the 60s. Mm. When Italy began to pack up a lot of the customs that were in the Anglophonic world, like a Mother's Day and a Father's Day, Italy chose, I think it was 1968, to make St. Joseph's Day March 19th Father's Day. So as Italy was secularizing, for Italians who are not religious, who are Catholic on paper, if that at all, if they're not celebrating St. Joseph in a religious sense, it's Father's Day. Mm. And St. Joseph's April, because Naples has such a distinct pastry that everybody, that any Italian pastry shop could make. And since people from Campania immigrated all throughout Italy, the St. Joseph's April has become ubiquitous in many parts of Italy and cities like Rome that it, it does not come from. You know, I often say the St. Joseph's April and the, the Neapolitan Bastiera at Easter have infiltrated the rest of Italy. It's one of the few benchmarks of a modern United Italy, like Gettone for the telephone, Rai, uh, the 1982 soccer victory, Padre Pio, and maybe two Neapolitan pastries are the few things that have maybe caused some sense of a national identity. And I think that, you know, it's given people in Italy you know, what do you bring when you go visit your father on Father's Day, even if they're not Neapolitan, in some places where they're available, even though Italy is still very rigorously regional, people will buy the St. Joseph's Day. So I think the same way, John, that you're saying that this has become a, a, a national Italian-American. So, for instance, if you're Bares, like, I, bro, I was really impressed when I saw your grandmother, the video of your grandmother, who's Molay's 100%, holding up a Sphinx and a Zabel, a St. Joseph's Sphinx and a St. Joseph's Zabel. Well, because we have our own St. Joseph pasta. I mean, like the bodies celebrate St. Joseph's Day. It's still a thing. 
But I mean, we got to give it to the Sicilians. They do it a lot better. They have a better pasta. They have a spingy. If we had to borrow one of the pastries, because we need a pastry and we don't have a good pastry for St. Joseph's Day, we pretty much borrow the Zeppola from the Neapolitans. And like, well, we'll eat a spingy too, but our St. Joseph pasta is like a lot simpler. It's, it's a mafaldina pasta with a sauce made out of anchovies, oil, pasta, water, and then it's topped with, you know, the sawdust with the breadcrumbs. But, you know, you can't really compare it to the elaborate pasta colesada. You know, there's, a, there's so much more preparation that goes into it. There's so much more ceremonia. We really just want to eat pasta with anchovies. You know, it's interesting that Tony brings up the idea that, like, in Ragusa, you can taste through cinnamon and clove, that very Greek influence. And I always say pasta con lasade for me. And people make green variations, which is without tomato. Some make red variations with tomato. But I've always felt that it's like a real uh, amalgamation of the influences of Sicily's history, right? The, The Greek, the Arab, the Spanish, the French. I mean, you get the salted sardines you get the fennel which is obviously such a sicilian flavor you know everything kind of combines together to just be like this culinary history on your fork every time you eat it and again you know we're talking about the combining of culture and the the merger of culture and the development from from other cultures and like you know pat you make a great point since the 60s saint joseph's day has standardized around italy based on these combined traditions and i think here I don't think our sort of developing homogenized St. Joseph's Day or homogenizing St. Joseph's Day in Italian America has been as impacted by that as it has by the abundance of social media that Italian Americans can now follow along and see traditions. And my whole kind of thesis is maybe with this digital existence that we share, Italian America is having a sort of renaissance in a lot of ways. I mean, when we polled people at the end of 2019 and we asked them what traditions they kept amongst other questions i was really surprised by how many people still maintain saint joseph's day i don't have the number in front of me but it was a significant number and i feel like many of those maybe have taken on the holiday as a piece of what they see as discernibly italian american identity even recently maybe their family wasn't doing these things or doing different versions of them and they're creating this kind of standardized national italian american version of saint joseph's day but do you guys agree with our thesis that there's more you saw more saint joseph celebrations this year oh absolutely absolutely thousand percent yeah it's getting bigger and bigger i mean but why wouldn't saint joseph's day be that one tradition that you keep it's the best freaking holiday there's no presents it's all about pasta and pastries. I mean, it, it, it's fantastic. It's the best holiday to keep. And it's accessible, especially with like a prepared condiment. Like to think that Italians were, or Sicilians were so serious about St. Joseph's Day, that they created a prepared canned condiment to help you realize your St. Joseph Day pasta dreams. And they real and and they they were cognizant of the fact that, hey, the the market in America probably because it's, you know, the Cuoco canned uh canned uh, pasta con lesabe condiment is is some Italians use it, honestly. There's a the Pensabana brand that I think is also present in in Italy, but the Cuoco one is for the American market. And it's a canned condiment of wild fennel and sardines. Like that shows that like they were like, hey, we got to make something for them. Yeah, I agree. 
I think it's a solid, a solid product. Again, I don't really eat too many things from a can, but, but I think that it's a solid product. It, it, it emulates what, I mean, you know, if you, if you don't have the time to, I guess, you know, cook it the old fashioned way. Debone your own sardines? Yeah. Because like that pasta <laughs> is, not, is not easy. When I, when I did the research for it, for the holiday book, like it, it is a process. You have to hand debone all these fresh sardines, which are quite small. I have a simplified recipe and it's not Sicilian. Before 8,000 Sicilians contact the podcast, it is not a Sicilian pasta side of the recipe. It is my adaptation. It is a Neapolitan version. So we'll call it the Neapolitan version. But I think there's an easier way to get it done. That's just my opinion. My theory is, and this is like we were talking about the Sicilian traditions and the Neapolitan traditions. Very interestingly, I had someone in the shop who was from Naples. He's been in the United States, I think he said, for four years. And he had never seen a Sfingi. And he was asking about the sfingi. And he said, I think that that's really an Italian-American thing because I had never seen it in my life in Italy. And that just goes to show you the, I don't know if this is the right word, the insularity to a certain extent of Italians because everybody here, a lot of Italian-Americans have the idea that Italy is very unified and homogenized and only one thing, which clearly still to this day it is not. If I had a dollar for every idiot from Italy that typed "ma in Italia questo non esiste" yes. on my Facebook page <laughs> every day, I'd I'd be like incredibly rich. I, I I don't know. Yeah, they do that all the time and about everything and about the dumbest stuff. Yeah. Like I'll have someone who lives in body who's like, oh. In body, we never put olives and tomatoes on our focaccia when it's like, I, I, I can't, I like, I hope you, I hope you choke on something. <laughs> on olives and tomatoes on your focaccia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that people are seeing now how many different ways there are to celebrate this holiday, but I'm really fascinated by the fact that this Italian American community seems to be growing in its awareness of it. Like when I got to NIAF in 2012, we had this beautiful headquarters in Washington, D.C. that really, you know, we weren't using for public events. So St. Joseph's Day rolled around. I got there in February. So, you know, a month later was St. Joseph's Day. And I said, hey, you know, we should do a St. Joseph's Day altar. That would be a great way for us to kind of invite the community in, see the work we'd done. And uh, we gave out free Zeppelis and we asked people to donate food in exchange for the Zeppeli. And, you know, the first year, 2012, we didn't have a big turnout. We were open throughout the day. We kept the door open. And by the time I left, six years later, it had become one of our signature events. Now, that's normal, obviously, for any event to grow from the beginning. But I think we were almost, in some ways, spreading and evangelizing the holiday as much as we were celebrating it. And I think people started to develop hand-in-hand this growth in the blogosphere or social media footprint, whatever it is, where people see different versions of Italian America that they might not have experienced themselves and generations that have been removed from the immigrant experience may have lost traditions, start to come back to it and find it through social media. And I think it's all sort of combining to grow this thing in a way that gives it a lot of promise for the future. Like I think this holiday is on the track to become in many ways, maybe the most important Italian American holiday that we have. And I know, you know, not that I want to go deep into this rabbit hole now, but you know, there's issues around what has been deemed the kind of Italian American day and Columbus day, which in some ways was deemed that 
by outside sources and not naturally from Italian devotion to it. And, you know, here's a an interesting alternative in, in what's a very good season for it, a couple of days after St. Patrick's Day. And you know, I think everybody needs to go down and see the celebrations in St. Joseph's Day when they return at least once in their life, because to me it's the Italian-American Super Bowl. But I get this sense that it really is growing. I disagree. I think a lot of these things were dying. And I don't think St. Joseph's Day was any different because we were being choked by a lifestyle of two parents working, ridiculously long hours. They would come home. St. Joseph's Day falls on March 19th, so it's on a weekday. I think people were constantly running. You know, they had two kids and 18,000 activities that they were driving around from, you know, cross-country, interstate, badminton to, like, they're on, like, you know, the national ice skating team or whatever. And, and they had no time for any of this stuff. John and I came to the conclusion that I saw an explosion of St. Joseph's Day was posted on social media, Instagram and Facebook, on Facebook. And an explosion in the amount of people, Italian-Americans, who were making the Zapulas at home. I think they were making the Zapulas at home because they're home because of the coronavirus. So it's a year later. They, they have time to cook. They're working from home. They're not rushing. Their kids are not in school with 18,000 activities. I feel that the, the Sunday dinner and all the things that we're losing, our number one enemy is time. Yes. Because whenever I ask people who have kids who are middle-aged, can you participate in Italian-American um, activity XYZ? The response is, my kids have sports. Mm. My kids have this sport, that sport, that activity, cross-country. We'll be driving across the country. Can you come on Tuesday night? Well, I got to work late and I have to pick the kids up from scouts and stuff like this. I think the game changer this year was why it exploded was when we gave people a little bit of downtime in the middle of a week because they're home because of the virus. They're not rushing back and forth from a job. They're not going crazy bringing their kids places. They had the time to sit down to make it a special macaroni dish or to make the zapers. And I think that is the game changer in this I disagree because I visited Villa Bata on St. Joseph's Day. Villa Bata is a famous pastry shop in Brooklyn where I live. And they said they didn't sell as many pastries as last year. And I mean, their line was still around the block. And they said they sold, they sell over 5,000 pastries on St. Joseph's Day. Mayor, you thought your numbers were lower this year too, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, part of that has to do with the fact that People weren't having events. A lot of times people would bring them into work for their coworkers. Mm -hmm. That did not happen. People weren't getting together. You didn't have everyone going, visiting family members. So it was a little bit lower than last year. You know, having said that, generally the numbers have been going down every year because there are not that many people left around to celebrate, unfortunately. The younger people who know and enjoy, I mean, they're going strong and continue, but it's not like it used to be. Now, again, I'm in Hoboken, which is very gentrified, and there are just a lot less Italian people here than there used to be. So I don't know if I'm necessarily the best example. But, but John, when I called you up, what shocked me was, I think the explosion of Zapolis were people who made them at home for the first time. That's why I think Mary Grace's numbers and, and Villabate's numbers are down because I think with people concerned about, you know, all the issues that are going around with the virus, they're not going out and shopping as much. I saw the real explosion in, in homemade ones. 
Yeah, you know, Mary Grace makes a great point. Like, I used to bring them to my office every year, right? And, you know, when I was at NIAF, I'd buy them for everybody in Baltimore and, and go get them picked up. And when I came back to New York, I'd bring them in from my little office here in Manhattan. And obviously, people aren't having parties. They're not doing the big family get-togethers every year. So in terms of, like, gross sales, it's interesting that it's not necessarily a growth industry at the moment, and like, like anything that is consumed in large groups traditionally. But I do think, I agree with you, Pat, I see a, a boom of social media, uh, the posts about it. I mean, I'm sure we can dig down and, and analyze just the numbers of posts with hashtags and stuff like that if we had the sophistication. I mean, Tony, you're one of the most active people I've ever seen on social media. You've traveled all over the area trying as many pastry and sfinchy as, as you can. I could give you a lot of credit and uh, I want your cholesterol. Um, I don't know but, if you want that. <laughs> well, I, I want, well, something's <laughs> keeping it going. Uh, but tell me how you saw it this year, because you've been a big advocate for this holiday for a long time. Yeah, so, okay, so this is the way I see. I think you, everybody is right in their own way. I, I think that Pat's right in the sense to say that the pandemic has brought people, you know, it's terrible. One life lost is one life too many. But I think in a, in a weird, weird way, the pandemic brought a lot of people, I thought, brought family back together. So even though you, you, you were apart from people, you were still able to Zoom on a Sunday or on a holiday. And, and now with the vaccination, uh, we've been getting, my, my personal family has been getting together more often, being, we're all vaccinated now. So I, I do feel that it's brought back people to, you know, asking even questions, whether it's genealogical questions, whether it's questions about, hey, you know, no, no, grandma, you know, and so-and-so. What's the recipe for whatever it is? Give me the recipe. Let's preserve our culture because that I think is is something that well, I guess I guess Mary Grace touched on that is that we're kind of losing the the traditions because people you know areas are gentrifying, people are moving out. So I think it's it's it, you know we, this this pandemic has made us think about the future in a way. You know maybe not everybody, but I know I'm addicted to ancestry. I'm addicted to food. I'm addicted to learning about it, about my culture, about my heritage, about my religion. So I think that that's one aspect. Uh, the aspect of seeing it on social media, I think that it's something that not. And I think Pat brought this up, saying about you know Polish people, you know, uh, celebrating the holiday or making you know ha having a sphinx or having a zeppelin. I think that social media. So maybe it's only a handful of people, but uh, in, in the big picture, more and more people see these, you know, these, these, I guess, these quote unquote influencers, they're post a picture of a St. Joseph's Fiend or a St. Joseph Zeppeli. People say, you know, what, what is this? It looks interesting. It looks delicious. Uh, you know, it's got cream. It's made of, uh, you know, butter, milk, whatever. So I think that that is another aspect that I think that some interest can be drummed up through social media. But I, again, like I said, I went to a few places over the weekend and, uh, Every place I was at, there was a line either out the door or around the store. With COVID, things seem a lot more crowded than they are because of the spacing and all this other stuff. You can only allow so many people in the store at once. But I, I don't know. I, I think that personally, I, I do see an interest in these quote-unquote Italian or Italian-American holidays more now than I ever have in the past. I think people, I, maybe it's because of the whole Columbus controversy. I, I don't know. But I think that more and more people are, uh, you know, even learning about, you know, I, I, again, this is totally off topic. I posted something on Facebook the other day that, you know, you, you, sometimes you see people post the Italian flag with the Hungarian flag, you know, so I think, <laughs> yeah. I think more and more people are trying to learn about their culture. Maybe they're getting some things confused or some things mixed up, but at least they are 
trying to take part or they're trying to actively be a participant in our culture. Because like I, I always say, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So we have to really, again, I think what you're doing at the podcast is kind of forming a neighborhood, forming a community, which we're losing. You know, I, you know, we, we live in neighborhoods now that aren't what they used to be. But, but again, I, I'm very lucky, very, very, very lucky to live in an area of New Jersey. And again, I posted this on, on social media that as high as our taxes are in New Jersey, I don't think I can ever leave here because it's my family's here, number it. one. It's the promise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, you know, faith, family, and food. Those are the three Fs that I always talk about, that here in North Jersey, I, I am the luckiest man in the world because I, I, I have my grandmother, a, a, you know, a town away. I have my in-laws close by, of course, my wife. So, I mean, and, and, and the food. And this, is, this is like, like Pat said, this, Pat, it's, this is like the Garden of Eden for Italian America. Is right here in New Jersey. You could just, you know, pick off the uh, pick off the apple off the tree. You know, it's funny. We were in Pittsburgh uh, about two weeks ago. Me, Pat, and Roe uh, filming another episode of Greetings from Italian America, and we stopped at a bakery, Moyo's Bakery, outside of Pittsburgh. That's been there a long time. We had a great interaction. That video will be out pretty soon. We made a friend. We definitely made a friend, Pat. Uh, Pat made a gumbato. <laughs> yeah, he did. Within five minutes of arriving, Pat solved their hundred-plus-year-old family genealogical riddle on his BlackBerry, which I think takes <laughs> even, deserve, deserves even more credit. Um, but we were talking to the proprietor about the kind of stuff he makes and the requests he gets, and he was saying, like, you know, they've been in their location since the seventies, but the business has been around since the thirties. And he was saying, you know, we're getting people coming in asking for cuchidati cookies. Uh, we've never had that. And we're getting people coming in asking for X. We've never done that. And so I think, you know, places like, like Mary Grace, you know, you guys have a traditional pastry shop that's been around a long, long time. You have your set recipes, the stuff you make, the stuff people know you for. But I do think social media is allowing Italian-Americans to see other versions of our culture, be it, you know, geographically different or from different parts of Italy, whatever, and they're going to their local institutions and saying, hey, you know, can you make this? Do you make this? And some of them are adapting and adopting things that weren't necessarily in their wheelhouse to create this pan-Italian-Americanism. So I see it on our show, and I see it with the audience. We talk a lot about people who are, let's say, maybe rediscovering or reengaging with their roots and the traditions, and certain aspects that they may not have had in their family become a part of that because it's part of this blogosphere of virtual Italian America mm. that people can dive into with both feet and really, you know, dig in and share and exchange. And I, I think Pat's right. I, I think that, you know, it's no coincidence that we both sort of had this light bulb that, wow, something was abundantly clear this year in seeing people, seeing people baking these things themselves, adopting, observing the traditions. And I, I do really feel very excited and bullish for the future of this particular holiday in Italian America, because I think we're all looking for authenticity. And we're all looking for ways to engage with a wider tribe. And this is a great touchstone. And it's nice to see something growing within our community because far too often we talk about, you know, shrinking and losing, mm -hmm. but in reality, there's a lot of things that are growing and a lot of things people can learn from platforms like this or the video series or, you know, Tony, your amazing videos and all the stuff you're putting out. And I just think, there's a lot of hope going forward in the future. And I, and, I, and I love this holiday. I think that stuff like this, talking about Spinach and Zapoli, is, is, you know, you know, there's that, that age old, it's kind of, it's almost a cliche now, and it's, it's getting a little old, sauce versus gravy. 
I mean, I think we should put that to bed. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about things that are important. Let's talk about change and, 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 and the different ways of making things. I think that that's, that's one important thing. And I think the second important thing, I think it's, a, you know, you would think a saint day is bringing Italian-Americans together. Our faith is bringing us together. I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, maybe, and I think, Pat, we've talked about this in the past, even with, the, with, the, with, with your feast, with the, with the Madonna, is how, you know, it's bringing people who, who are, I guess, more secular Italian-Americans or Italians, and it's making them uh, cognizant or making them more aware that, yes, it's a day to feast and a day to be with family, but it's also a day of prayer. I mean, really, St. Joe, you think about St. Joe, what, what did, what did St. Joseph say in the Bible? He didn't say anything. He was steadfast in what he was given, right? He was there for our Lord. He was there for his wife, Mary. I mean, many people in this day and age, you know, if they found out their wife was pregnant, they'd be like, you know, here's the door open. Bye-bye. <laughs> but, you know, I think that it's bringing people back, you know, just and you, you see a, an image of, of St. Joseph. I mean, most of the time he's an older man, but, but you know, you just see a picture of St. Joseph holding the baby and the baby's just looking at the baby. Jesus is looking at him with such love. But I think that there is something there. I think that there is I think it's a way to bring people back. Even again, maybe if it's even for that one Sunday or the one day when you celebrate the feast, I think in a way that it is it, it has the potential to bring people back to their faith. That's a great point. I think that it's amazing. You know, and that's, I mean, again, we, I hate to delve into the Columbus day thing, but like there's something very um, guttural about holiday, like St. Joseph's day and look, St. Patrick's day, the same thing, right? Like Mm -hmm. we take for granted now in a secular, practically secular world, what these saints meant when the miracles that were uh, attributed to their intercession saved our ancestors and that's real you know and 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 define their lives and that devotion you know you can create a secular holiday around an an occasion or a person or something to commemorate and that's all well and good but that devotion almost has um blood memory i think for people and it, it digs into us and is in our subconscious our dna and you can feel your ancestors devotion to this stuff almost subconsciously when you when you celebrate it and when you participate I think it even goes back even further back to pre-Christian times because these are all the spring holidays. It's amazing how all the main religions all have these holidays at this time of year. I mean, Purim was last week, you know? So I I think it has to do with the coming of spring because a lot of times when people see the St. Joseph's come out, uh, when we start doing them, it's so people are so happy because they're always, there's always somebody who says, it's a sure sign spring is coming. So there's something very hopeful in that aspect of it as well, I think. I think you're completely right. Yeah, I was reading uh, in prepping for this that, you know, they say that the, the swallows return to Capistrano on St. Joseph's Day. And not that I've ever been there or seen that, but <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's a very human, um, I mean, look, you can look out the window now as a recording and the sun is shining and, and, you know, this is the beauty of, this season of Lent, of Easter, of returning to all these things. And, um, you know, we talk about it a lot when we talk about these traditions on the show. There's something very natural to that cadence and that timing and that ritual. And uh, I just, you know, having now been uh, two years without the St. Joseph's Day Parade in New Orleans, I can tell you it, it gives me that feeling every year to go down there and to have this great celebration. And I hope that we're all right in our theory that more and more Italian Americans are enjoying it for whatever the reason is, be it faith, be it season, be it tradition, be it learning about something, be it the desire to just be a part of something bigger or be it the 
fact that, like Rose said, it's a great holiday. The food's great. The pastry's great. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this when you get to eat like this? I'm just very, very happy to see what I really do think is is real growth. Yeah, I just wanted to, before we wrap up, I, I just wanted to say that. I think it's a it's a volley. St. Joseph's Apo is a volley against a modern post-ethnic world mm. that uh, promotes nothing to fill a void of something. In the sense that, you know, I showed a, a non-Italian-American commented on St. Joseph's Apo. Well, that's not very keto. No, you're absolutely correct. That is, <laughs> and and this is this is what the world has come down to. No, and this is probably not for you. Then, if that, if that was your first response, this is probably not for you. And and it's <laughs> it's a world of the perpetual yoga pains. No, that's what we've become. You know, and, and everyone has a free choice. Some people are picking that. Like I said, a, a post-ethnic world of avocados and yoga pants. Well, the modern Italian Americans eat the Zappoli and then they're on their Pelotons for like two hours. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. But it's, it's just that, you know, sometimes I just scratch my head. And I think a gift that the, the podcast has given me is I feel less alone. Mm, yeah. There's more of us who see the world from this perspective. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're eating keto all year long, constantly. You can take a break today. It's keto, Pat, not Kato, like Kato. Kato. It's keto, Was that a philosopher? <laughs> Kato? <laughs> yes. Kato, the young, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Phil, I don't know. It's a deep introspective moment. I don't know what what fulfills these people, what fills them. When they look at it and they, they ca- and you know, they're, they're a million times thinner than I ever have been, ever will be. They're in fantastic, <laughs> you know, they're in fantastic shape. They got the BMI of, a, of an Olympic track star. And they see that Zapula like it's kryptonite. And, and it's, oh, it's was it keto? Keto? Yeah. Keto. No, it's not keto. And I was like, okay, well, you're going to die one day just like me. We're both going to wind up in the same piece of ground. I mean, not the exact same grave. I, I personally like where I'm going to go, but um, <laughs> it had a nice view of the city, but uh, we're all going to die one day. And it's just like, I, I don't know. Like, what do you get fulfilled? And I, I'm not going to, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not trying to be. Uh, I'm not. I'm not here on a, a soapbox. I'm not judging them. They just got a different world than me. But I don't know. I just don't understand how they think what we're what we're embracing is greater than what we're losing. Yeah. But then that's why I'm on the podcast, and they don't listen. To <laughs> you know what? Though you're absolutely right. That's the beauty of this podcast. I think for all of us who are on it, or all of our listeners, it just it makes you aware in a world that is increasingly telling you that you are an individual who can do whatever you want, that you are a part of something greater. And that's that's what I think, I think we all believe, that's what the human condition calls for, is, is community and shared experience. And to be able to offer that virtually, even if it's just photos posted on social media, I do think it gives you something, you know? I think that's the good side of social media. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, we talk about the bad side a lot, about how people are addicted to it and the... You know what? What your brain chemicals do when you wake up, wait, checking and looking for likes and things. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a dark side to it, but the good side is, it says, hey, you have a tribe, and it's out there, and there's people doing these things, and you can dive deeper into this, and you can be even more a part of something, and that's the whole mission of this show, and I think what all of us are doing. I mean, you know, Mary Grace, you are fighting the good fight to keep alive an institution and the recipes and part of a community, Tony, you catalog everything you're out there. Con- I mean, you're a professional Italian American, even though you have a real job. And, you know, I mean, Roe, Roe, you've been doing this for decades. Pat and I, this is our life. We're all just basically trying to make sure that the infrastructure and architecture of community 
are there for people and then get it to them. And I think it's nice to be able to celebrate this emergency broadcast and say, hey, you know what, guys? It might be working. It might be happening. I think the key to all this is why I was happy when I saw those posters, like because they're teaching their children. Yeah. And, you know, when I was a kid, we would go to um, Lynnhurst, Mount Carmel, Lynnhurst. They would have a nine night novena to St. Joseph. And I have such fond memories of the hymns, being there with my grandmother. And I have such, such fond memories of that novena, of a packed church of little old Italian ladies where you couldn't move. There were so many people. And, and I can hear the hymns in my head. And actually, they had a tradition on the feast day. And I've asked many people. No one has a definitive answer, from, even from Lynnhurst. They would give out loaves of semolina bread with fennel seeds on the feast. Somebody would, do, would donate it. It was all donated as an act of devotion um, for I think, a vow that was made. And every time I eat semolina bread, that, that memory comes back. So if you don't want to make the Zapolis for yourself, make them for your children. Mm. They're not as concerned about keto as you are, but I think we got to, you've got to pass it on. You know, the, the investment you make now in these traditions are going to be a dividend that's going to pay with your children, your grandchildren, and their children. Yes. Yep. You're completely right. Well, that's a great instructional to leave everybody with. If you're not doing it for yourself, do it for the, the kids, do it for the community, do it for the people you love, go out, Get a Zeppeli, a Sfingy, whatever it is that makes you happy. If you want to make pasta with sardines or sawdust or any of the different versions, find your St. Joseph's Day. Wear red if you can, particularly the kids in school. Tell people about it. Let them ask you why you're wearing red. You know, whatever it is, the fava beans, the lilies, the altar. That's your thing, John. That's the anti-green. That's, that's, yeah, it's the anti-green. That's yeah. to remind everybody in Chatham you weren't Irish on. But it's a real tradition. I mean, it's a normal thing. I mean, people do it in Italy. People do it here. Uh, it depends on the community you go to. But for me, that was a big part of it. I love I don't, I'm not a red person. I don't wear a lot of red, but I certainly do on March 19th. <laughs> and, uh, you know, keep whatever it is that makes it real for you. And if you are in Hoboken, New Jersey, take the time to stop by and say hi to Mary Grace at Giorgio's. If you're online, and we know you are because you're listening to us, At the Table with Tony is an amazing show. And Tony Manja, you can find him on YouTube. You can find him on his website. You can find all the great stuff he's doing in the same mission that we have here. And uh, we hope you'll let us know if you have seen this same explosion of St. Joseph's that we have and if you're keeping the traditions, how you're keeping them. So make sure to write us and let us know. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Dun, 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 dun. I think I got some old Zeppelin in the fridge and then I'm going to eat it. You think it's still good? Of course. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great.